Good morning. It's Advent season when we celebrate the Lord's coming, and today we are focusing on the, the idea or the theme of peace. Isaiah the prophet, hundreds and hundreds of years, predicted what Christ would be like, his character, the Messiah's coming, and who, what he would do. In Isaiah chapter 9, familiar verses often, we hear them sung, we read them. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. I don't know about you, but when I hear those words, it sounds like a dream, doesn't it? But I want to be there. And what's amazing is God wants to take us there. To know that peace, personal peace, eternal peace with God, peace on earth, peace for all who would believe and trust in God. Have you ever read all the announcements? It's Christmas time. I would encourage you to take a moment and read Matthew, the first few chapters about Jesus' birth. Read Luke, which happens to be one of my favorite stories about uh, Jesus's birth. Read the Gospel of John, the early passage about Jesus's birth, and just read all the announcements that the angels brought to people, uh, all the declarations, and how they responded with songs and hymns from their hearts. They were filled with joy because of what God was, was doing. They couldn't be silent. So how about us? <laughs> Don't be silent. If you know about God's great salvation, declare it somehow, some way. And we'll be talking a little bit more about that. What's amazing is you see God was fulfilling his promises. The promise he made back in Genesis chapter three that a seed would come and crush Satan's head. Well, here he was coming. And, and Zechariah in this song that uh, Dave read uh, from our scripture today was declaring that God's salvation was here. He couldn't be silent. But he was silent for a while, wasn't he? We'll get back to that. The Savior sent to crush Satan's head was on his way. The Savior set, sent to set people free. Free from sin. Free uh, so they could pursue God's right ways. So that by God's grace they could be light. All this was coming true. The world wants peace. I want peace. You want peace in your life. You want to be at peace with yourself. You want peace for your children and your grandchildren. You want peace for your neighbors. You want peace among the nations, but there's only one way to peace, and that is to know God, to love God, to walk with God. Let's look at uh, excuse me. Let's look at Zechariah's song today. I want simple outline, right? Know the song, sing the song, and live the song. Know the song. Let it fill your mind, your head, head knowledge. Know God's truth, and then let it touch your soul, your heart. 
heart. So you believe it and, and, and cling on to the truth that God, that you know in your heart, m- mind. You get it to your soul, to your heart, believe it, and then live the song by applying it, getting it to your hands, head, heart, and hands. Know the song. In Luke chapter one, uh, God's giving us good news through the priest, Zechariah. Uh, He was a priest and he was filled, it says in verse 67, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So this means that it wasn't Zechariah's opinion being given here. It wasn't uh, Luke's theological interpretation of what's going on. This is God speaking to you and me about what he wants us to know about Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. This is God's word to us. Here is God planning to rescue humanity and he's saying, here it is. Here's what he's going to accomplish. Now what's great about this song is it's a Christmas, not Christmas, (laughs) okay, a charismas, okay? And up on the screen, you can see there's, it's, it's a beautiful song or psalm or poem, and it's written in such a way, and you can see that there's repeated themes that God wants us to know. And he used, this is a literary thing that the Hebrew people used, but it's been used through the ages to help us focus on important truths. And there's repeated things here. God has visited us, or he has come in verse 68. He's come to his people as he promised. He brings salvation to his people in verse 69. He's foretold this through the prophets in verse 70. And he said he would deliver us from the hand of our enemies in verse 71. And then here it is at the central point. He's keeping his covenant promise. He's keeping his oath to our ancestors, to our fathers, and to our father Abraham. All these promises in verses 72 and 73. He reminds us of that. That's the the key truth. And then uh, he repeats it again. From the hand of our enemies. Delivered from the hands of our enemies. And, And John the Baptist in verse 76 is mentioned now. He's a prophet, so he repeats the idea of the prophet, and he's coming to bring us the knowledge of salvation in verse 77, and he's coming to his people, all those who would believe. God is visiting us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Boy, reread that. If you have... uh, Write these notes down, right? Or find a good commentary where you can find that structure because it's beautiful, isn't it? Boy, God knows how to write, doesn't he? (laughs) What else does Zechariah tell us? This is knowledge that God wants us to know. Well, he tells us what God is doing. Look at verses 68 and 69. Look for the verbs. What is God doing? Well, he's visited his people. He's come to be with us, to live among us, to know our lives so he can save us, so he can experience and know as a human, fully human, fully God, the mystery of the incarnation, God with us. He came and he visited us and then he's redeemed his people. And it says in verse 69, he's raised up a horn of salvation. All three of those verbs, visited, redeemed, and raised up a horn, 
are written in the aorist tense, which is kind of like a past tense. And in this context, it means it's, a, it's an action that's happened in the past and it's still having effect. It's effective now. But God's deliverance hasn't happened yet. Jesus hasn't even been born yet. So how can it be written as a past act that's, that's happened? Because when God says something, it's as good as done. So we can say it as if it's already done because his word will always be fulfilled at the right time. So God has visited his people. It's a picture of a doctor visiting the sick. God sending Jesus to show his compassion to us. When God visits us, it's an important event. Do you know the story in the Old Testament about Sodom? Remember the Lord came down and talked to Abraham about how he was going to judge Sodom? That was an important visit. When God comes in person, it's an important event. But when God came in the form of Christ, God with us, he didn't come to judge. What did he come to do? To save us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I did not come to condemn the world, Jesus said in verse 17, but to do what? But to save the world. So that's good news. That's why uh, Zechariah, when his mouth is finally opened again, when he can speak after nine or ten months time, he burst out and he explodes in praise to God because God is doing what he promised. He's visiting his people and he's coming to redeem his people, to pay a ransom, the releasing of a captive by ransom. He pays the price so we can go free, free from our sins, debt of death. That's why I love that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Jesus was sent. He visited us. He came to redeem us, to pay the price we couldn't pay ourselves for our sins. The innocent one for the guilty. God raised up a horn of salvation. A horn is just a symbol of strength. So Messiah is strong. He's a strong deliverer. Jesus' life was not taken away from him. He gave it away. And then he had the power because he's God to take it right back. And he has the power to give you and me life when we believe in him. God wants us to know these truths. He came and he did actions. And what are God's intentions? What are his intentions when he came to and visited us and redeemed us? and raised up this horn of salvation. What was God up to? Well, I can tell you this. When God does something, he does it big. He doesn't do it little. Think about how he delivered the, the children of Israel. I mean, they were slaves. They were nobodies. They were powerless. And God sent Moses, and he used him to deliver his people, and he did a mighty work, and he delivered them from Egypt, the, the, the world power of the, at the time. He delivered them in a mighty way. That's what is happening here when Jesus came. That is why Zechariah sings songs of praise. Zechariah lists five things God intends to do to show us mercy. Because we are like Israel. 
the Israelites. We don't deserve God's mercy because we're sinners, but God is compassionate and gracious and he seeks to rescue even people like us who are his enemies. To rescue us from our enemies, physical and spiritual, to deliver us from bullies, to deliver us from our sinful selves that go our own way. Think about it. Where's Jesus taking us? Where's God, what are God's intentions? <laughs> no more tears. No more death. No more fear of death. No more fear of the unknown. No more sickness. No more bullies. No more hunger. That's God's kingdom. No more battles with my divided loyalties. I love you, God, but I love myself sometimes more. I love my way more than your way. No more divided heart, fully in tune and in step and in love and following God, serving him with gratitude. Do you know a holy life, a godly life, however you want to describe it, a life that's surrendered to God, is a life that's being lived out of gratitude, not guilt? because of what God has done for us. So we live and we follow him gladly, surrendering more and more of our lives. We don't earn God's favor. It's received as a gift when we believe, when we trust that Jesus' death on the cross was for our sins and he can take them away because he's raised again. So God's intentions were to show us mercy, to rescue us from our enemies, physical and spiritual, to enable us to serve God in holiness and without fear, to shine on those living in darkness and death's shadow. Light's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It, it just brings clarity. It brings hope. It removes fear. To guide our feet to the path of peace perfect peace, personal peace, economic peace, physical peace, spiritual peace, shalom, complete peace. So you know what? The Jews weren't wrong in looking for a deliverer who would deliver them from the bad rulers, godless rulers of Rome, because that was part of God's promise. That's his promise to us. Don't worry about the political party. Know who God is is going to deliver us from all of it. That's why Jesus came. The Jews were not wrong in looking for that Messiah, but the Jews, so many of them missed, not all of them, but so many missed that their hearts were deceived and oppressed by sin. They didn't understand that they were so unrighteous in God's eyes and they desperately needed their heart, their minds cleansed by the truth of God, by Christ's righteousness that only he could give us. That's very convicting to me. What about me? What about you? Are you, have you taken that uncomfortable inventory of how unholy your thoughts, words, and actions are? That's a very uncomfortable place to go. When they reveal how far short of God's glory we fall, but God's intentions weren't to send Jesus to say, you are sinners and you deserve to be condemned. No, he sent Christ to do what? To make us holy 
and to remove fear, all fear of standing before God. By simply believing in him, we can stand without fear before our God and know that he will forgive us. The righteous one dying for the unrighteous that we might become righteous because of his loving mercy. That's an amazing truth. And John the Baptist, it says in verse 77, was sent to give that knowledge of salvation to the people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Know the song. Review the song. Think about what God has done through Christ. Renew your mind. Correct your thinking. Review the great salvation that has been sent. Not only at Christmas season, although it's a great time to do it. Not only at the communion table that we'll celebrate today, remembering what Christ has done, although that's a great time to do it. But always remembering what God has done for us. Know the song. Know Zechariah's song. Fill your mind with its truths, its hopeful, peace-giving words. But secondly, we need to sing the song. The story behind the song. We've got to look at that. Look at verses 5 and 7 of Luke chapter 1. You have your Bibles open? Uh, look at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. I'm at verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Zechariah is a priest. Elizabeth is barren, childless. And in that day and age, maybe more than this day and age, that was seen as dis a displeasing position to be in rather than a place of blessing. It was seen as a curse. But God tells us through Luke that they were righteous people, that they were blessed people. They were righteous, right with God in God's eyes. I have a question. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3 that there's none righteous. So how could God say that Zechariah and Elizabeth were upright and walked blamelessly? You probably, maybe you know the answer to that. It was because they were people of faith. In Romans chapter 3, we're told this. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. For by the works of the law, no one, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So how could they be declared righteous? Well, the answer is right there in verse 21 of Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no one, no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory and are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that gift is received by believing, by trusting that Christ is the Savior, by having faith in him. We gain God's lasting peace through our sins being removed, not by what we do, but by faith. So we sing 
the song. Elizabeth and Zechariah were made pure, not because they kept the statutes of God, but because they believed God and they were credited, it was accounted to them as being righteous. So they could have peace with God. So God saw them as righteous, right with him. That's amazing truth. And we need to help one another understand it clearly, to be confident in it, that we put no confidence in ourselves, but in Christ alone. Can you explain that well to other people who don't quite understand it yet? Explain it well so we don't come across as like holy or self-righteous. But explain it in a way that shows we're humble sinners <laughs> that understand that we're saved by Jesus' work for us, his mission that he came to accomplish, and not by what we do, but by what he did. Can you explain that well? Do you have it settled in your own heart? And can you come across as a needy person who needs forgiveness so that others see that they can receive it too? Know the song and sing the song well. Remind yourself of this story. Review the carols of Mary's song and Zechariah's song and Simeon's song of praise. All the angels' declarations to Mary and Joseph and to the shepherds and how they responded. It was amazing. They believed it. They took it into their heart. They were filled with faith and they followed through. And that leads us to the, to the third point. Live the song. Get it into our hands. Applying God's truth to my everyday living. Have you ever heard of doubting Thomas? Well, he wasn't the first one to doubt. I mean, here's Zechariah. <laughs> he was doubting God's word to him. And they weren't the first ones to doubt God's word and they won't be the last. I'm, I'm a part of that club. How about you? Gabriel's message from God to Zechariah challenged his personal belief. In Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 13, we read this. Gabriel came to visit um, Zechariah. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and, and may rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before you in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And in verse 18, Zechariah Zechariah responds and he said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which, we, which will be fulfilled in their time. You know, it's not every day that an angel comes and speaks to people. So there's a big happening happening here. <laughs> and Zechariah doubts it. And I take great comfort in his doubt. Because I can relate to it. 
So he had nine or 10 months to just sit there and to see God's word coming true in his life. He and his wife had been praying for years for a child and likely praying for a son so that their line could continue on to kind of remove all the talk. Oh yeah, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're great people and they really seem to be serving God, but they're childless. So it's like God must, they must have done something terrible that God would be punishing them and not blessing them. We would never talk about others like that. He was unable to speak, but he saw God's truth, his word coming true right before his eyes. And for nine or ten months, he just was, was soaking in all that God had said. And it's no wonder that he exploded in this amazing song of praise when he had the chance to do it. Live the song. And don't miss the impact of this familiar story. Jesus said this about hearing his word and not listening to it, not digesting it, not applying it to life. In Matthew chapter 70, Jesus, when he was teaching, this is the Beatitudes, part of that Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That should catch our attention. But then here's what Jesus says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And in verse 20, 26, it says, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on sand. Have you heard God's word today to you? And will you hear it and ignore it? Or will you hear it and begin to ponder it and think about it and change your thinking about who Jesus is, will you begin to trust him with confidence that his word is true, that his power is powerful, and that his forgiveness is never ending for those who call on his name? Will it change what I do this Christmas season? Will it change what I do next year for the rest of my life? I can relate to Zechariah so much Zechariah and Elizabeth were trusting in God's mercy, not their own righteousness. And yet here we see someone who's trusting in God, who's doubting God's straight word to him from an angel. Now, we have an excuse, right? Has, has, have you been visited by an angel? Not that I'm aware. But I have God speaking to me through the written word of God that the Holy Spirit has written. God himself, not even a mediator, but God himself, the spirit, is speaking to us. We need to believe it and embrace it. Hear God's truth and doubt its power. We doubt its power to give us the peace and joy that we crave. So what do we do? So we do our own will instead of God's will because 
we don't see the long-term benefits. We think of the temporary benefits. So we ignore what we know God wants us to do for the immediate because we don't fully trust it. Hey, have you ever doubted that turning the other cheek is a good plan? That treating your enemy, your adversary in the office or the workplace or in your family or wherever it's messy, that that's a good idea to pray for them and to treat them well? It just doesn't make sense to treat bullies nicely because they may take advantage of me. It doesn't make sense. But God says it is the right way. Do I believe it? Jesus says that carrying my cross is the way to find life. To suffer is the better way to find joy and peace in my life. Do I really believe that? Well, in theory I do. But in life I, al I don't always. But just look at the cross of Jesus Christ and remember what it accomplished. It didn't look good. It wasn't an easy path. Jesus really didn't want to walk that path in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying for him to be delivered, but he said, not my will, but your will be done, Father in heaven. And we see the fruit that took place so that when we carry our cross, we can believe there will be fruit, even if we never get to see it personally. We can believe it'll come true. Do we believe it? Lord, help us to live it out more. Help us to follow you. Zechariah was a priest of the Almighty God. Appointed by God. Chosen by God. And our missionary friend Dan McLean reminded us a couple weeks ago three weeks ago, that we're all high priests. We're a royal priesthood. So you've been selected by Jesus Christ, God, the Spirit, and the Father, to go and to be a mediator between God and people, to be people's representative before God and a representative of God to people who don't know him. He's called you to that. That's who you are if you're a follower of Christ. So think about how that changes how we are to live and what we are to do. Our missionary friend Pete last week reminded us to believe God's word. And that God will fight for us so that we can sit still. So what was Zechariah's Red Sea? <laughs> he was old and Elizabeth was old and God said, now's the right time to have a child. He's like, what? I'm not sure I can believe that. And God said, but it's my plan. When we're walking in God's will, God's word will be done. What's your Red Sea? God is walking with you through it. Have you heard a word from the Lord today through Zechariah's psalm? And during this season, as we celebrate Jesus' coming, and we should celebrate, like Zechariah, we have every reason to shout it out, to praise God. It's to be an all-year event. It truly is a season of peace for those who know God. So know the song. Know what God says he's going to do and believe God's word. Sing the song. Literally sing the song. <laughs> the right time and place, yeah. Tell it well, like Zechariah did. 
and then live the song. Live it well. And when you fail, God's willing to forgive you because when you ask forgiveness, apologize, it's actually bringing glory to God. It's showing that God is at work in your life and you're being changed by his power. Be humble like Jesus in the strength that he gives you. Be gracious and kind because all those actions of following God's word are powerful and it'll bring peace. Let's pray. Lord God, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up for us a horn of salvation to show mercy just as he promised. So Lord, help us to believe that and to celebrate it today as we remember your coming and that you suffered in our place so that we worship you as we remember what your death for our sins accomplished and that the power that your resurrection displays that you truly are the Savior. Help us to believe it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.